All right, well, we are in a second week of a series entitled By Faith, um, and we're, we're looking at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 says about a lot of these uh, Old Testament heroes of faith. We sometimes call this the Faith Hall of Fame, this chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. Tells us about these heroes, these men and women who lived by faith, who chose to step out on faith, believing that God would be faithful when they moved and faithfulness as well. And so we talked last week a little bit about the fact that, uh, that, that faith is defined in Hebrews. You can see the definition here that the Hebrew author gives. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then you see there underneath two Greek words. The first one is hypostasis, and that is the word that we translate into confidence. And that word hypostasis basically says that, that we are standing in a place that is immovable. That is how solid our faith in God is. So it's firm. It's a firm foundation, and it is because we have that firm foundation, that hypostasis, that immovable faith, we know that what we hope in for, that we place our hope in is rock solid. But then we've got the second word, so we've got confidence and assurance, and assurance is the Greek word elegchos, and it actually indicates there's this movement, that faith actually produces movement. Faith is not just this solid place in which we say, well, I'm just going to put my chair here and sit still, and I'm good. No, faith moves us into something. Faith moves us to be faithful, in fact. Faith produces faithfulness. And that is the kind of faith that we see modeled in Hebrews 11. In fact, that's what the Hebrew authors tell us. They say that is what faith is. This isn't just a kind of faith. This is what faith looks like. Faith moves because faith believes that God is faithful. So in us, faith also produces faithfulness. And then the Hebrew authors tell us this, this is what the ancients were commended for. They were commended for living this way, for by their lives giving us an example of what it looks like to live by faith. And so this morning we're going to jump into one of the first uh, characters from the Old Testament that we're going to spend some time with, a guy named Noah. And and you've heard a little bit about his story already this morning, and so you're probably primed for what we're going to be talking about. And this is, I love this story because it's one that, that even if you aren't very familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard the story of Noah to some degree. You know that he built an ark, and you know that it rained a whole bunch, and there were floods on the earth, Noah filled the ark with animals, and the earth was repopulated through Noah's faithfulness. So you've probably heard this story at some point in time, but there may be some of the nuances, some of the very rich pieces of this story that you've not keyed in on yet at some point in time. Now the interesting thing is, in Hebrews 11, we only have one verse telling us about Noah. But as you'll see in just a minute, there's a lot that this verse tells us about who he was and what he did. Here's what it says. By faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So first we see this. It was faith that moved Noah to say yes to God. When God came and asked Noah to do something that was mind-boggling, really, that there was no way he could have gotten his mind around or understood, Faith moved him to say yes. We see that very plainly, that Noah did not know what he was about to do. In fact, the Hebrew author tells us, by faith Noah responded when God warned him 
to say yes to something that he knew nothing about, about things not yet seen. And so in holy fear, because he had this reverence for God, he was in awe of God, he said yes to what God was asking of him. And because of that, the Hebrew authors tell us, because of that he became an heir of righteousness. So we know that we are, we are counted righteous by our faith in God. Noah stepped out and did something. God looked at him and said, okay, that's righteous living. That is by faith living. In fact, that's exactly what the Hebrew authors tell us, that that kind of living is in keeping with faith. That's the kind of living that is consistent with faith in God. Well, we're going to dig a little bit further in this story this morning because, again, you can only learn so much about the story from Hebrews chapter 11. So we're actually going to jump all the way back to Genesis 6 and examine, in, in, the, in probably Moses' words, what was said about Noah, the story of Noah. This is found in Genesis 6. If you want to open your Bibles there, we'll spend most of our time here for, for the next probably about 20, 25 minutes or so. So what we see, there was a man named Noah. We know he was righteous. He walked with God. We're going to see more about that. But we can see in just the next second that the world was in a bad place. And I don't want you to miss that because sometimes we get, we get kind of frustrated with God or confused about a God who would love, who would be able to do what God did in Genesis chapter 6. So I want you to see very plainly what the world looked like and why God responded the way He did. This is what Genesis 6 tells us beginning in verse 5. Now the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. Now I want you to listen to this because the author here uses multiple absolutes to tell us just how bad things had become. Are you ready for this? Here we go. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now let me read that for you one more time. And pick out the absolutes here. Ready? And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Three times we're told that, in case we were to miss it, that that this was really, really bad. I mean, it was incredibly ugly. So much so that Genesis 6 tells us that God regretted that He had made human beings on the earth. And His heart was deeply troubled so before we go and write god off as just this angry murderer or whatever else uh, other especially the new atheist movement has tried to label god as because of this incident i want you to see that god's heart was actually broken by what he saw well before god was angry about what was going on god was broken over what was happening so much so that he regretted making human beings his heart was deeply troubled So this is what God decides. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But catch this last sentence. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So everybody is acting one way. Remember, they're they're evil, right? Every inclination of the human heart was evil all the time. That's all they thought about, only evil. Except there was this guy named Noah. So everybody's over here, and Noah's over here. And what is Noah doing? What makes him so different? Well, Genesis 6, 9 tells us this, that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he, oh, here's the key, 
he walked faithfully with God. Noah's faith produced in him action, and the way that the, Genesis, that the author of Genesis describes that is saying that he walked faithfully with God. In fact, that is often said, that, that, that term in the Old Testament is often used to indicate the type of relationship that someone has with God. So when someone walks with God, it's intended to tell us he and God are close. She and God were close. They're tight. So he walked faithfully with God. And because of this, God goes to Noah and he lets him in on the plan. So picking up in verse 13. So God said to Noah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. I want you to see, there was probably a lot of people destroying people already. Again, remember, every inclination of the human heart, only evil, all the time. Can you imagine what that would look like? And so God said, we're going to start over. And here's what I want you to do, Noah. I want you to make yourself an ark of cypress wood. I want you to make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Now, now, real quickly, <clears throat> we translate the Hebrew word here, ark. And ark, immediately, you've got an idea in your mind what the ark is like, right? I mean, maybe you've even looked at the, the answers in Genesis website or, or one of these web, you know, that points to the, the creation center up in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio area where they've tried to reconstruct the ark, which from what I understand is, is about the same dimensions of the ark, but probably doesn't look like the ark looked actually. In fact, the Hebrew word here is, I want you to build a box. I mean, can you imagine what Noah was thinking about at this moment? I'd like you to build a box, and I want you to build a really big box. I want you to build a box that, in, by modern measurements, is 450 feet long. Uh, okay. And I'd like you to build a box that is uh, it's 75 feet wide. Okay. And I want you to build this box a little more than four stories high. Okay. And what are we going to do with this box, God? This is what God tells Noah. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, the box. You and your sons and your wife, and your son's wives with you. Now, <clears throat> Noah was given roughly 120 years, and we don't believe that it took him 120 years to build the ark. In fact, God tells Noah, he says, I'm, I'm going to deal with this for about 120 years more. So when God has a conversation with Noah, that starts a clock, a countdown clock of about 120 years. At some point in time in there, Noah starts building the ark. A lot of guesses are somewhere that it took between 55 and 75 years, probably, as you kind of date the ages of his kids, probably 55 to 75 years to build that ark. Now remember, everybody was over here. They were doing their own thing. Every inclination of the human heart was only evil all the time. They're doing their own thing. And God comes to Noah and says, I want you to build a giant box in the middle of a fairly dry area 
The nearest sea was more than 100 miles away. Maybe there were lakes every now and then and they were somewhat familiar with boats. I don't know what what they had at that point in time. But I, I want you to do this, Noah. And I want you to trust me. This will make sense at some point in time. Oh, and add to that the fact that God says, I'm going to flood the earth, and Noah had not seen rain before is what it looks like. In fact, it seems that every morning what happened is the dew would rise up out of the, out of the earth, similar to what it does today. You have the dew point, and you'll see dew in the grass, but it was enough that it was able to water the earth over and over again. And so it seems like it had not rained, that's what Scripture seems to indicate, before the time of Noah. So God says, I'm going to make water fall out of the sky. Get it, you haven't seen that before. I'm going to flood the earth. I get it, you haven't seen that before either, and there's no reason you should really understand that. And I want you to build this giant box, and it's going to take you quite some time to build that box. I want you to do this, Noah, and by faith, if you've got that kind of faith, you're going to say yes to this, even though you don't understand what's in front of you. Now, an interesting note on the side is that 2 Peter 2, verse 5, tell us that Noah preached during this time as well. Now, you can kind of imagine that if you let your mind wander just a little bit. Everybody's over here. Remember, everybody's over here. And Noah's over here doing what God is asking him to do. Everybody's over there doing what they want to do. Noah's over here doing what, he, what, what God wants him to do. And so he starts to build this ark. And can you imagine some of the looks that he got from the people over here as he starts to build this giant box? Can you imagine some of the things that they might have said to him? Can you imagine the response that he had to them? I mean, if Noah preached, what did he preach about? If Noah talked to the people around him, what did he talk about? Could it have been what God told him? And imagine just for a second, how would the people over here have viewed Noah when he starts to say, hey, uh, God told me. Yeah, sure, God, we got it. God told me I need to build a giant box, and that's why I'm building this giant box, because what's going to happen is everybody looked at him like he was crazy. Like he had absolutely lost his mind. And still, in Genesis 6.22, in spite of the fact that Noah didn't understand, there was no way he could have. And in spite of the fact that the people around him certainly didn't understand and probably thought he was crazy, what we see in Genesis 6.22 is this. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. I mean, that, that is huge. Don't miss that. Noah didn't understand, but, but what did faith produce in him? A faithful response to say yes, even though he did not understand, had no way of understanding what was in front of him. There was no way he could have. There was no way he could have. Listen, what I want you to see this morning is that faith produces obedience even when we are being asked to do something and we don't understand why. Uh, There's a question that I get asked at my house often. I've got three kids, all ten and younger. And there are times where I ask them to do something, and you know the question that comes back, right? It's one word. Why? And there are times where 
I don't want to explain because I just want to get on and do the next thing that I'm doing and so I'm, I'm not being a great dad in those moments. And then there are times where I do try to explain and they still don't understand. I mean, I'm giving it the best I can to try to help them make sense of, of the why behind the what that I asked them to do. They don't get it. Now, what I hope more than anything in that moment as a parent and this doesn't always happen that way. But what I hope more than anything in that moment as a parent is that my children will have enough faith in me that, that when I ask them to do something and they don't understand why, they're still going to say yes to what I ask them to do because they'll say, you know, we can trust Dad. If Dad asks us to do X, we should do it. I remember when my, my oldest son, Andrew, was probably uh, about two years old, and uh, we had this playground down, down the road from our house in Florida. And there was this kind of little rock outcropping that came out. It was actually, it was insane. I mean, it was a lawsuit waiting to happen for sure. Because there were no handrails at all around this little rock outcropping that was about six or seven feet high that came off the side of the playground. And Andrew, since he was, I don't know, about 18 months, was drawn magnetically to that place. And he would want to walk out on it all the time. Well, there was a time where he was kind of standing on the edge and I was over there by him and I'm trying to encourage him to jump down to me. And I think that was probably the first moment he decided I can't trust my dad. <laughs> Something's wrong with my dad. But I'm trying to tell him, buddy, if you jump, I'll catch you. If you jump, I'll catch you. I, I will. And eventually he did and it was kind of like a little half-hearted, like flop, flop more than a jump really. But it progressed to the, fact, to the point where he went right back up and he realized the next time, I can actually jump down to Dad. Here's the thing about not understanding why. If you never say yes when you don't understand why, you'll never see how much you really can trust God when He asks you to do something. I mean, you just won't know. If you live your whole life and God has to explain everything to you, just like a parent trying to explain to a child, or maybe God is trying to explain it to you like a parent trying to explain to a child, but he can't. He doesn't have the words to get it across for you, or you don't understand the concepts. I know that's true of me. Often, I don't understand. I don't get it. I'm not capable of understanding. But God is calling to me to step out in faith anyway, just as Noah did. I think somewhere along the line, Noah had probably said yes to God about something else that he had a hard time understanding. I mean, remember, he walked with God. This wasn't the first time God came to Noah and said, hey, Noah, how's it going? I mean, this was a relationship that they had built over time. And so Noah had, got, had arrived at this point by stepping out in faith, I'm guessing, so that when God came and asked him this huge, this monumental thing, Noah was able to say yes. Another way of saying what's on the screen right now is this, that faith produces obedience even when we are being asked to do what makes no sense. And just in case you're thinking that this was the only time in Scripture that this happened, that God approached somebody and asked them to do something that didn't really make sense, let me share with you just a few others. There was a time where 
The Israelites had come out of captivity in Egypt. They had crossed the river into the promised land. Now God is giving them town by town of this promised land area that God is saying, this is going to belong to you. And they come to this town called Jericho. And Jericho had just massive walls. Monumental, massive walls. They're huge. There's no way the Israelites could get over those walls and overthrow Jericho. And so here's what God says. This is what I want you to do. Every day, I want you to leave your camp and I want you to go walk around the city and then go back to camp. You're going to do that for six days. Alright, so let's, let's go do this. You go and you march around Jericho. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around seven times. And at the end of it, you're going to, you're going to blow trumpets and you're going to shout like a bunch of crazy people. And at that point in time, you're going to beat Jericho. Uh-huh. Can you imagine? I, I mean... If Noah got some wild reactions from people who were over here, can you imagine the reactions that the Israelites received as they're marching around Jericho? Can you imagine the insults that were hurled? Probably not just insults. There are probably other things hurled as well. I don't know, chamber pots maybe? Nasty things probably, right, as they're going underneath them. They're just tossing stuff on the Israelites. They're laughing at them. They're making fun of them. And the Israelites are probably starting to think, all right, what do we say yes to? But by faith, They marched around the city of Jericho every day, and then on the last time, seven days, enduring whatever was coming their way. And when they blew the trumpets, and when they decided to shout, guess what happened? The walls came tumbling down. If you remember the old song from Sunday school, right? The walls came tumbling down. But there had to be a moment where they thought, this is crazy, this is nuts. You don't deliver a city by marching around it. Cities aren't won when you you have a parade. Cities are won when you, when you fight a battle and God says, oh, no, 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 if you're faithful to me, I'll fight this battle for you. Just watch. Or maybe you recall the story of Gideon. And I've got the word attacks in quotes there because Gideon didn't really attack the Midianites. I mean, sort of, kind of. If you don't know the story, Midianites had a pretty big army, 135,000 of them. It's a big army. That's a good-sized army in, you know, today even. Like if you're going to fight a battle with somebody, 135,000, that, that's a lot. So the Midianites had 135,000 fighters. And guess what Gideon had? 35,000. And you know what God tells Gideon? You got too many. Okay, God, I don't know if you've done the math, but they're already outnumbering us by 100,000. We're already, we're already in, we're in a hole here. Yeah, you got too many. So I want you to tell everybody that's afraid they can go home. All right, see ya. I'm out of here because we're 35,000 going up against 135,000. We'll, 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 yeah, we're heading home. And so Gideon looks around at his army at that point in time and God says, you still have too many. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down the stream. We're going to do this little test and some are going to lap water like a dog and some are going to drink you know, by actually getting down all the way. Into the, okay, and at that point in time, you're going to figure out who you need to keep. There's going to be 300 left. That's crazy. I mean, can you imagine as all these men go home and Gideon is now talking to 300 and saying, hey, we're going to do this uh, thing together. Uh, we're going to beat the Midianites somehow. And then God gives him the plan. You go at night and you surround the Midianite army. And every one of you will have this clay jar with a flame in it. And it's going to look like every one of you, 300 of you, are leading an army, a small army yourself. 
And so it's going to look like the Midianites are surrounded and then guess what? They're going to lose their mind and they're going to kill each other. They're going to think that they've been surprised, that a whole host has come around them. I mean, think about that. It wouldn't be so hard to get 300 guys to surround an army of 135,000 and, and stay quiet. What if God had said, hey, do that with the 35,000? I don't know. Somebody's got loud feet. I know that's happening, right? Somebody's going to step on a branch at the wrong moment and Midianites are going to know about it. But God had a plan. Looked like a crazy plan, but God delivered the Midianites into the hands of the Israelites. All right, this next one. I didn't really know how to put this one on the screen because it's just awkward. Uh, The reality is, God asked Isaiah to be an object lesson and preach in his birthday suit over a span of three years. Now, I don't know if he walked around naked for all three years. I hope not. That would be really rough. But God asked him to do this in order to impress upon the Israelites what's about to happen to them because they put their faith in foreign armies instead of in God. What's pretty cool in that one, and kind of as a side note, the reality is we're all putting our faith in something. So what do you really want to put your faith in? I mean, do you want to put your faith in in something that is immovable? Something that is faithful to you as well? Or do you want to just find... I mean, that's what the Israelites did. They were like, well, we can see the Egyptians. Aha. We can see the Syrians, and we know what their armies look like, and so we believe if we ally ourselves with them, then we'll be in good shape. And God was saying, no, 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 put your faith in me. Or what's going to happen? And here, Isaiah, is why I'm asking you to walk around naked and, and actually, the Bible tells us with no shoes either. Like, can I at least wear my shoes, God? Seriously? He asked him to do this because he's preaching the message to say, hey, listen, because you put your faith in these foreign armies and not in God, you're going to be overrun and you're going to be led into captivity and you're going to be naked and without shoes for the entire march over because you decided not to listen to God. All right, and you might be looking at that and saying, okay, well, in the Old Testament, God did that. I don't know. I think God did it in the New Testament as well. Like the moment that God shows up to a 12-year-old girl in the form of the angel Gabriel. Gabriel comes and he says, listen, Mary, you found favor with God. And through the Holy Spirit, you're going to become pregnant and you're going to bear the Son of God. And I know you're unmarried. And I know this whole thing is going to be crazy and it's going to be nuts. I mean, let alone the fact that, that you're, going to be, you're, you're going to be ostracized to some time, but it's also the Son of God that she is carrying And by faith, Mary says yes. That's a crazy, crazy thing. And then Jesus, there's one day when a big crowd was following Jesus. We have this account in the Gospels, in several of the Gospels. Um, It was at least a crowd of 5,000 plus. 5,000 were the number of the men that were gathered. If there were women and children that had came along with them as well, that crowd could be anywhere between 15 and 20,000 as well. And Jesus looks at his disciples because the disciples say, hey, we should send these people away. Send them away because they're hungry. And Jesus says, nah, you guys feed them. What? Now, yeah, you guys feed them. You guys feed them. Find a, way to, find a way to feed them. And they say, but it would take all this money for us to feed them. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you put your faith in me, watch what will happen. And there were 12 baskets of food left over. So God has a pattern has a pattern, has a habit of asking people to do things that look 
crazy by faith. Got one more. Then Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. You know what comes next, right? I, the by faith story goes on to today as well. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I mean, this was spoken to Jesus' first disciples. As he's getting ready to ascend into heaven, here's the great commission. And, and if he would have said to them, listen, I want you to go and make disciples of the people of Jerusalem. All right. We, we can probably handle that, or at least we'll try. They may not like us after a while, but, but we, can probably, we can probably lead some of them to become disciples and followers of Jesus. And he says, yeah, but I want you to go even further than that. I want you to go to Judea, Sumeria, and then the ends of the earth. This is what I want you to do. So go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And listen, this obedience thing continues on to today. By faith, we say yes, we still choose to obey because that is what disciples of Jesus look like, teaching them to what? Obey everything I have commanded you. Does that sound kind of similar to Noah's response to God? In Genesis 6, Noah did everything just as God had commanded him to. So faith, faith moves you to step out and do what would make absolutely no sense except for God. I mean, that's the reality of faith. And it may start with baby steps where you trust God in a small thing And eventually it becomes the large things and you're saying yes to it and everybody's saying you're crazy. That makes no sense. But that is what a by faith life looks like. All right, I've got another way of saying this, one that I think will be a little bit more memorable and I'm going to acknowledge right before I say it now. It's kind of cheesy. But if you give me a second, I think I can explain it and it'll make sense to you. Here it is. It's only crazy if your vision of God is hazy. Here's what I mean by that. When we see God clearly, there's no limit to what we'll do when He asks us to. When we see Him clearly, we'll say yes when He comes to us. When we're walking with God as Noah walked with God, when we have that kind of relationship with Him and we know we can trust Him, when we know our faith is rooted in in, in a place that is firm and solid, and that yes, we've also been called to move out in action, when we know that we can trust God, when we see Him and there's no barrier and no obstruction there, it's not hazy, a haze between us and God, when we see Him clearly, there's no limit to what we'll say yes to. So it's only crazy if your vision of God is hazy. I want to leave you with this this morning. And it's a question. And it's a question I think that all of us need to be able to answer in our lives If the answer is nothing, I I challenge you to go looking for what it is that God is asking you to do because God is asking all of us to live by faith, to move by faith. That's not just for a select few. That is His call on every follower's life that we would live and move by faith, that we would walk with God. So here's the question. What are you currently doing by faith 
and that causes the world to look at you and declare, you're crazy. I want you to spend some time with this question this week because I do believe that God is calling you, yes, even you, to walk with him by faith. Let's pray and then we'll sing together. Father, we thank you for the example of Noah and that he was obedient even when it didn't make sense. When it didn't make sense to him and it surely didn't make sense to those who were watching him. But he said yes to things that he had not understood and couldn't yet see because his faith was solidly rooted in you. Father, thank you for his example as he knew that what he stood on was firm and solid, but he also knew that it called him to move as well. Father, I pray that we would be a people who stand on what is solid, our faith in you, but also people that when you call us to take a step out and move, our answer, because of our faith in you, will be yes. This I pray in Jesus' name, and amen.